We're going to go to 1 Corinthians today, but we're going to go a few chapters over because the 4th and 5th chapter, uh, I didn't, as I read them, I didn't see anything that really I wanted to to preach about. There's one thing that in chapter 5, I'll show you something here that might have led to chapter 6, which we're, where we're going to be. Chapter 5 says it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, impurity of a sort that is condemned and does not occur even among the heathen. For a man has his own father's wife. And you're proud and arrogant. And your other ought rather to mourn until the person who has done this shameful thing is removed from your fellowship and your midst. So apparently this guy had either seduced or was seduced by his father's wife. Uh, you know, that, that was where Joseph showed his fortitude in Egypt. Potiphar's wife liked that good-looking Jewish boy, and she tried to seduce him, but he didn't go for it. And so we come to chapter 6, and we're going to be going verses 1 through 6 today. Uh, uh, excuse me, one through eight. I read my number here wrong. And I entitled this Settling Differences Within the Church. Settling Differences Within the Church. How many of you have ever been in a church fight? That is a that is a terrible thing to witness. And many times it's nothing in the world but personalities. It's uh it's been recorded sometimes that Two people would attend the church, and one of them would sit on one side of the church, and one of them would sit on the other side. Uh, somewhere down south of Corinth, Mississippi, and I don't remember exactly where it is, but there's a little corner there that a state trooper used to hang out about all the time, and I knew about him because I was traveling for Goodyear at that time. And I had a CB radio. I, one of the salesmen that I dealt with had given me a CB radio because he thought he had one better. And I had that old Pace 23, and I could reach out to where you wouldn't believe on that little old 23-channel radio. But driving down through there one day, 
And you could find the same situation at Rondo, but not uh, at Aubrey, excuse me, but not quite. I drove by two buildings. One of them was a building about like this, maybe a little smaller than this. And it said, Church of Christ. And right next door to it, on the next property, and this is out in the country, kind of, was Church of Christ, A.D. 33. You know anything about that, Carolyn? Well, this Church of Christ claims that they're not Campbellites. You know, the Church of Christ was originally known as Campbellite Church because the Campbell brothers broke away from a Baptist church, and neither one of them were ever baptized for the remission of sins, by the way. But anyway, they, that was the founding of the Church of Christ. That was back in about 1840 or something like that. And the other one claims that they were founded the day that Jesus talked to Peter, A.D. 33. And there was, and they're usually very small congregations. There was one in Aubrey, back on one of the streets up, uh, as you start out of uh, Aubrey and you turn back by an old school building or something there, go back down there. There's a little small white building down there was Church of Christ, A.D. 33. Charles Rowland was, I think, a member of that church at one time. But the regular Church of Christ is out on the main highway as you go through Aubrey, you know, and you see it, brick building out there, nice brick building and all that. But see, this is the kind of thing that starts those arguments like that. When no, we weren't founded by this and we weren't and da 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 and back and forth and you have these these arguments. Uh, back when I was on the radio here with the prayer line, uh, Gary Yarberry, who was pastor of the Church of Nazarene down here, was out there with me nearly every day. Gary became a good friend. He went into uh, military uh, chaplaincy uh, uh, with VA hospitals. And last time I heard, uh, uh, somebody that knew him around here said he was doing that. But Gary was just a great guy. And he loaned me some of his uh, some of his books that he had studied in seminary. But how many people know the history of the Church of the Nazarene? Huh? Church of the Nazarene started somewhere around the 1850s in that area because there was a group within the church at this time the Methodist church was known as the Methodist Episcopal Church. You go up to Memphis uh, where uh, the uh, seminary used to be and there's a church up there that the plaque on the front embedded in there says Methodist Episcopal Church. That's in Germantown. Well, Episcopal means what? It's a form of government. We are congregationalists. We are governed by the congregation. And the other one is a Presbyterian, 
and they are governed by a presbytery, a group of, of people. And so the Methodist church is governed by a bishop. The bishop chooses your pastor and moves the pastors around as such as this. So anyway, they had the Methodist Episcopal Church, but they began getting liberal. And this movement inside the church started as a Reformation movement to bring the, and we've had the same thing with the Baptist churches, you know, to bring the church back into a line with the scripture, with what the founding fathers believed, which was based on scripture. And so the Methodists wouldn't do it. So they broke out and they formed the Church of the Nazarene. And their doctrine is basically old Methodism which was a good doctrine. When, uh, the only thing was is they uh, didn't baptize by immersion, but I believe that the uh, Nazarene did. I think they went, they, they, they went back and re reestablished immersion baptism. So I'm giving you all this little history lesson as a kind of a prelude to what we're going to look at today. Uh, and so you've had these uh, shifts and changes. Well, for instance, the first Christian church and the Church of Christ started out together. They started out as, as the Church of Christ. But they had a problem. Church of Christ didn't want that instrument up there. They didn't want any instrumental music. I can remember when you just about get run out of a Baptist church for bringing a guitar in. You remember that, Carolyn? You you could have a piano and uh, and an organ if you were rich enough, but you didn't dare have no saxophone or uh, huh? And certainly no drum. No, no, sir. No, none of that. So. The church of the first Christian church, as we know it, like in Marvel right now, that split out from the Campbellite movement because they wanted instrumental music. And so uh, I find it very, very uh, kind of amusing. Uh, if I can find it here. Yeah, Ephesians. Uh, I fell in love with the Amplified Bible going to a Church of Christ seminar up at uh, up in Searcy, up at Harding up there. I was up there working the uh, for the college up there, visiting with the university up there, and they invited me to come down. I stay in a motel up there, and they invited me to come down for church meeting that night, and I said, oh, yeah, I'll do that, you know. And so uh, their key verse is Ephesians five nineteen says, Speak out to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, offering praise with voices and making melody with all your heart to the Lord. 
But the amplification here it says this. It says, and instruments. And that comes from uh, Greek-English, uh, uh, a guy named Barry. Uh, Greek-English uh, New Testament uh, lexicon. So it's strange that I would find a Bible that says with instruments at the Church of Christ meeting. But I did. <laughs> and so you, you see all this rather foolish stuff, and that's what Paul says here, first verse. And I titled this, Not Before the Ungodly. It says, Does any of you dare, when he has a matter of complaint against another brother, go to go to law before unrighteous men instead of before the saints? In other words, if Charles and I have a disagreement about something, we don't need to go down here and get in front of Rusty Porter. I mean, even though Rusty's a Christian, a good friend of mine, the other thing you know, but no, that's not what we need to do. It needs to be settled within the congregation. And uh, we'll get further into this as I go through this. But, and Paul says, you dare? And to go before the ungodly? And at that time, apparently in Corinth, the judicial system was about like ours. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it, had, it had its faults, let's say that. It had some flaws. But, see, it was forbidden by Jewish law to take a case before a Gentile, before a Gentile judge. And even if the Gentile judge ruled as the Jewish law would have, they still said that it was an ungodly ruling because it was done by an ungodly man. Even though the result was exactly the same, the Jews said, we don't do that. We don't go before the ungodly. And that was the great thing about Rome at the time of Jesus. Rome allowed the Jews to rule themselves as long as they didn't usurp Roman law. That was the reason they went to Pilate to get Jesus crucified is because blasphemy was punishable by death. And they considered what Jesus said blasphemy. But they could not condemn him to death because Roman law forbade it. So that, that, that was the, that's kind of the situation you've got here. But it was forbidden by Jewish law. And so also these were early converts. They were Gentiles. But they still, and Paul still had the idea that you won't take it in front of the, the heathens. You don't settle your differences in front of the heathens. Because it was forbidden by Jewish law. And then let's look at uh, Proverbs 18, 19. Uh, 
real quick. Proverbs 18 19 says this. A brother offended is harder to be won over than a strong city, and their contention separate them like the bars of a castle. In other words, it offends the brotherhood when you take it outside the church. It offends the brotherhood. And Solomon in all his wisdom said that when you have a rift in the brotherhood, it's harder to mend than to conquer a city. Many times grudges last a long, long time. Because I tell a little story about a woman who went to the attorney and said she wanted to get a divorce. And the lawyer said, on what grounds? She said, well, we got 15 acres. He said, no, ma'am. He said, I mean, what kind of case do you have? She said, oh, we don't have a case. We got a John Deere. He said, ma'am, he said, do you have a grudge? She said, no, we got a carport. He said, does he beat you up? She said, no, I usually got breakfast ready by the time he gets up. He said, ma'am, why do you want a divorce? She said, we can't seem to communicate. And so that's why it's hard to overcome a rift between brothers because of a lack of communications. As Cool Hand Luke said, what we have here is a failure to communicate. And so that's what Paul is trying to get through to them right here. But not only that, it brings reproach upon Christianity. I'll guarantee you beyond any shadow of a doubt that if Second Baptist, say that size that congregation is over there, if they were to have a big row today, The subject at August Moon would be what? What happened at the church over there today? And it would be by whom? By the other people. The other, the other people that was in the con- you know, in the in the restaurant. You, it goes outside the church and it puts a black mark on the church. And it brings reproach upon Christianity. Well, if they can't get along, why would I want to be a member of that? Of that, They come out here and want to talk to me about coming down to the church, and they can't even get along with one another. It brings reproach upon Christianity. Now, in verse 2, it says this. Do you not know that the saints will one day judge and govern the world. And if the world itself is to be judged and ruled by you, are you unworthy and incompetent to try such petty matters 
of the smallest courts of justice. Paul is being very, very brutal here. He says, Christians judge the world. Now, what they were talking about at this time, they thought at this time that Christianity one day was going to govern the world. They thought that the, that the government would become Christian. Uh, we tried that in the, in the early colonial days. The, uh, the pilgrims did. They had a rule that you couldn't have a community, didn't have a meeting house. And they met together, they prayed together, and they were communist in that they all farmed together and they shared together in the farm. But it didn't work. It will never work. Why? Because you got somebody like Steve won't work. He's gonna he's gonna eat eat the corn, but he ain't gonna hoe the cotton, you know. And so that's that's what broke it up. So they decided, well, okay, let's do this. Every man plot farms his own plot of land, and whatever he does, if he has an excess, he can sell it, and he can make a little money. And these over here that don't want to work so hard, as it says, the sluggard in so many times in Proverbs, the sluggard, he doesn't he doesn't gain anything, and so. You have that situation. Well, all of a sudden, monetary profit became more of a motivation than the congregation of the people. And it has grown and grown and grown today. Sad to say, many, many, many Baptists vote their pocketbook instead of their morality. You can take that however you want to take it. But that's the way it, that's the way it is. So, Christians judge the world also by righteous behavior. My oldest daughter had a good friend, and she's buried at Turner right now. She's the one that fell, that fell dead in the shower over in uh, uh, Stuttgart six, eight months ago. But she used to ride with me and Lorraine. I'd take them to, to school. And Beth became a Spanish teacher. Lorena went with her a couple of three times to Mexico on as a chaperone. And, but some guy came over here from Spain and he was the paramour as, as you would have in the movies. You know, he was from Spain. He was of the European gentility. And Beth fell in love with him. And she was going to leave her husband and all this, you know. Well, I hate to tell you this, but my oldest daughter's a prude. She, do, she does not approve of any sorts such behavior. 
Matter of fact, that's the reason she's in the church she's in right now because the song leader up there got involved with a friend of hers who was lovely, by the way. And uh, anyway, the church, uh, the preacher wanted to do something about it, so they threw the preacher out. And the church no longer is in existence, by the way. It actually killed the church. So, but my daughter doesn't, she doesn't go for stuff like that. And so when Beth wanted Lorena's approval and she didn't get it because Lorena stood where? On righteousness. On her righteous behavior. And so Beth shunned her. She had two sons that thought the world, Lorena, nope, can't have no more, nope, nope. Even accused Lorena of having an affair with her husband. And that's ridiculous. Even the thought of it is ridiculous. And he's a great guy. I mean, I would not have condemned her on his behalf if, he, if she had, but I know better on that one. So that's how if we live as we're supposed to live, we bring judgment on the world. The church is supposed to bring judgment on the world by its righteous behavior. Now, that's Matthew Matthew did it in 1928. Matthew 1928 says this. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new age, when the Son of Man shall sit down on the throne of his glory, you who have become my disciples will sit also on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. So, see, Jesus even proclaimed this, that the Christians will judge the world. That's after the second coming. And then Jude, uh, Jude's hard to find. I think it's a whole page. <coughs> Jude 1, 14 and 15 says this. It was of these people, moreover, that Enoch and the seventh generation from Adam prophesied when he said, uh, Behold, the Lord comes with his myriad of holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the impious of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed un, uh, and in such ungodly ways and all the severe things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. So in other words, the, the Bible itself says that it is that's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, so... Then the third verse says this, that do you not know also that we Christians are to judge the very angels and pronounce opinion between right and wrong for them? How much more then 
as to matters pertaining to this world and of this life only. In other words, if you got enough gumption to judge an angel, you ought to be able to judge yourself and, you know, keep your, your, your church together. But now, most of your commentators agree that this is by judging fallen angels. You cannot judge the angels that stayed with God and are his or his own. So what they're saying, what they're, he's saying here, that we are judging fallen angels, how? Even today by preaching the gospel. We judge the acts of demonic activity, devil worship, and all this by just preaching the true gospel and standing by it. And what drives, you know, I, I saw a sign one day in front of a church, I believe it was, so I guess I can say I can repeat it here. It says, read the Bible. It'll scare the hell out of you. And, and so uh, when, we, when somebody gets converted, you know, they baptized Jesse Taylor in Cedar Creek last Sunday. Satan lost a good right arm, you know, and Jesus gained a soul, you know. And do you remember that hillbilly song, you know? But what was it? What, what did Jesse Taylor lose? He lost the devil. He was the devil's right arm. And so by preaching the gospel, even today, we judge the fallen angels. And we deprive them of worship and dominion. You've got, how many of you know the name Anton LaVey? Church of California, Hotel California, the, the devil worshiping group out there, you know. That, see, and when you preach against that, when you preach the truth, you deprive them of their wor of worship. There's a lot of people out here today, right out here in West Helena and Helena today, that don't realize that they are giving homage to Satan by their activity. And they are giving themselves into the dominion of Satan. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? You are of the devil, your father. He said, you're worshiping and giving dominion to the devil. Boy, that made him mad. So, we are to judge fallen angels by preaching the gospel. And verse 4 says this, 
if then you do have such cases of everyday life to decide, why do you appoint as judges to lay before those who from the standpoint of the church count for least and are without standing? In other words, Christian arbitration is preferred over outside arbitration. How many of you remember the case, I believe it was up in Kansas about 10 years ago, when a church of Christ up there made a proper stand, and they had counseled this member, I believe a young woman, and it didn't approve, somebody didn't approve of it, and they actually took them to court. They took the court, the church to court, because they were uh, acting as counselors, which they were not licensed to do. And what he's saying here, you have everyday life things to discuss. Should I date this heathen or not? No. It says, do not be unequally yoked. Oh. Where does it say that? As Billy Graham would say, the Bible says. But you see, Christian arbitration is much preferred over outsiders. Do you ever know that Walmart brags that they don't sell pornography? Did you know they do sell pornography? Charles, what's the difference between male pornography and female pornography? Male pornography. Eyes. Eye related. Female uh, pornography. These romance novels by Danielle Steele, I can name you one of the authors, I don't remember the other, but how many Christian women do you know that are addicted to those, those novels? You know, the, the guy with the flowing golden hair, you know, and he rides a white horse and all that stuff. Women have the ability to visualize in their mind. Us guys are too dumb for that. We want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to we don't want to visualize it. We want to see it. Go up to the gentlemen's club, excuse me. <laughs> up on Brooks Road or something up there. I've been there. Tennessee Uniform took me there one time to lunch. I was the service supervisor for Goodyear, so therefore I was influential in the choosing of the uniforms, you know, the contractor for the uniforms. So they wanted to wine and dine me up there at a table. I believe it was about the size of this podium right here. We sat at a table, you know, and had some food. I don't remember. All I know is there, there was uh, 
some girls out there that couldn't afford clothing, you know, that was dancing. I guess they were dancing so they could make some money and buy some clothes, you know. But, <laughs> but anyway, been there, done that. <clears throat> but that's the difference. But I didn't know that. On I, what brought this around was Christian arbitration. We had a counselor that come from Memphis down here that would counsel couples that was having problems. And he's the one that opened my eyes to female pornography. He's the one that explained it to me. Now, I can't remember what his name was, but he was a Christian counselor arbitrator out of Memphis, a real nice guy, good guy. And so Christian arbitration is preferred. And this is not necessarily by pastors, elders, or deacons. This is not necessarily by them. You shall be tried by a jury of your peers, it says in the Constitution. Well, who are your peers? Did you know at one time in the courts they did not have jury selection? The jury was known. You've got jury duty next week, you five, ten, seven, however many guys. You're on the jury, and you'll serve on this jury for six months or however long. And every time there's a court, you'll show up. You'll be the jury. And so the lawyers can't argue over who gets this and who... I got called up for jury duty down here one time. They didn't like my answer. They threw me out. Uh, or at least they didn't call me back up. Uh, but uh, you can you can get off of jury duty real quick. Last time they called me up, I told them, I said, you, you told me I was too old, according to the paper, you know. And, oh, okay, you're, you're excused. And so... Uh, but you can get thrown off the jury real quick if you uh, show a prejudicial attitude right quick. You know, just tell them, well, you know. So, but the jury of your peers, this used to be citizens that were appointed for jury duty for a given length of time. And you didn't have a different jury for this trial and a different jury for this trial. So it's not necessarily by pastors, elders, or deacons, that you should have arbitration within the church. It should be, if Steve and I have a disagreement, that we should be able to say, well, I trust Charles's judgment, I trust Denny's judgment, and I trust so-and-so's judgment, a, a, committee, a, a group of three, we'll meet... We'll put our case before them and see what they decide. And we will agree to abide by their decision. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And this is your peers. Yes, sir. They sit in the same pews we do. They listen to the same sermons we do. They go to the same Sunday school class we do. This is proper arbitration. 
We don't have to say, well, he's the pastor and he, or he's the elder or he's the... No, no. This is people that we know and trust. That's what started that prayer group down there at First Baptist, Carolyn. I went with uh, Gordon Siders to visit with... Uh, oh, he's, he's long dead now. He had a son that was a preacher. Uh, I drive by his old house every time I go home. Uh, I can't remember what his name was. But anyway, that was the deal. Man, Gordon was going to go talk to him because we knew he had a problem with somebody in the church, you know. Well, it ended up that Gordon and him was on me before the night was over. And we wasn't upset at one another. I finally said to him, I said, look, guys, I said, why don't we just start a deacon's prayer group and see what we can settle out of this, all this, you know. So we went to John Miles, and John Miles says, oh, yeah, I've been wondering how we could get something like that started, and that's what started the prayer group, and it wasn't restricted to deacons. It was, re it was men's. That was the only requirement you had to be there, men. Didn't even have to be a member of the Baptist church, First Baptist Church. Because we had some other people that, that came in there, you know, and became very good members of that group. So that's how you are supposed to do it. All right, verse 5 says this. I say this to move you to shame. Can it be that there really is not one man among you who is wise and competent enough to decide between members of the brotherhood, you mean you ain't got nobody in that church that's wise enough to scripturally decide what should be done. I said here, wisdom is found in a small group, chosen. This is chosen by the plaintiffs, and usually three. It's usually a good number to have is three. And wisdom in this group is given by the Spirit. If this group of three will go before the Lord and ask for wisdom in deciding this and listen without prejudice, with open mind, they should be able to resolve this difficulty without ending up with two brothers that are offended at one another and never, never reconciled. And verse 6 says this, But brother goes to law against brother, and that before Gentile unbelievers, when Christians fight, the world applauds. When Christians fight, the world applauds. That ought to say enough about that verse right there. And verse 7 says this, While the very fact of your having lawsuits with one another at all is a defect. Oh, boy. Why not rather let yourself suffer wrong and be deprived of what is due why not rather be cheated? In other words, better to lose 
than to dishonor God. Better for me to say, oh, forget it. James Early and I used to have some knockout, drag out arguments when we was cooking men's breakfast. No animosity or nothing. We'd just be arguing about something, you know. And, of course, Gwen's answer to it was if, it, if she was around, she'd say, Oh, James, shut up. <laughs> you, you knew both of them, didn't you, Carolyn? But many times afterwards, James would walk silently. He'd sidle up to me, and he said, You know, I've been thinking. He said, You're probably right. He'd get to thinking about later, you know, what we was, was talking about, you know. And he'd say, you know, I got to thinking about it, and you're probably right. We never did carry any animosity toward one another, you know. It would just be some point of something we'd, we'd be arguing about, you know. And it just kept, the, kept us going while we was cooking the meal. And so many times it is better to lose that petty argument than to dishonor God. And then verse 8 says this. But instead, it is you yourselves who wrong and defraud, and that even your own brethren by so treating them. I said here, do not injure the family. Do not injure the family. Don't let petty differences in the church injure the family. But now, all this being said, I put one last note down here. Civil authority is necessary in civil wrongdoing. That does not mean that a Christian should never go to civil church, civil court. If somebody damages your property or maliciously destroys something that you own, you go to Charles Garrison when he was in uniform and you ask him to come out and investigate and he goes to the sheriff who was his boss and says uh, so and so you know many times Bill Jones and I have gone out to do a report and I'd say Bill why are we here he said because they want a uh, insurance claim he said they don't want nothing settled he said they want an insurance claim they they, they probably know who did it. One time down that Lakeview, some guys beat on the safe down there with a sledgehammer all weekend long, and nobody said anything in the world about it. Trying to, they're trying to beat in that safe down there, you know. Stuff like that. Yes, that's when you go to court. That's when you go before a judge. And what I, what I really found ironic as I studied this was that the Jews said, don't go before a Gentile court. Nahon, Saharovich, and Trotz. Who are they? Jews. <laughs> How many of your law firms are Jewish? Groman was the judge. What was his... What was his Religion, Jewish. Eddie Rubens, 
in West Memphis. My aunt dealt with him when he was a poor Jewish guy walking around in a long black overcoat trying to drum up business on the sidewalk. And he ended up becoming the, uh, the, the municipal judge in, uh, in West Memphis. And who was the one in Memphis? They'd go before him and the guy say, Joanna, that ain't my baby. He said, you feed him. He'll look like you. And, you know, he'd know, he'd say, are you still married to her? Well, yes, sir, but we don't live. You feed him. He'll look like you. And that was the end of the case. And so many times, uh, now, Ed Groman, I used to work on his car. Ed Groman was a friend of mine. I've been to his house. Huh? Uh-huh. But you know what? I never did want to get on the other side of the bench from Ed Groman. Because the people here said it wasn't the verdict that got you, it was the and us. What do you mean and us? He said, and uh and uh, <laughs> he'd give the verdict of so many days or so many whatever, you know, and he said, and uh and then they say, and that's what got you was them and us. And he was sharp. No, and them those law officers down there used to cry when he took them out to the bridge. All those guns that they confiscated, them nice Smith and Wessons and Colts and Rugers and all that, he'd stand there and make them in the river make them drop them in the river they'd cry man when you when you got a beautiful <laughs> firearm like that and he says but that's that's the way he was but I never wanted to be across the bench from him I was afraid then that he wouldn't even know my name but that was, that's when you go before civil courts, is when you have a civil matter. But within the church, keep it within the walls of the church. And let God be the final judge. He might wake you up at midnight. You ever wake up at midnight with a solution? Study something. I can't, I can't fix this thing. And you wake up at midnight, and all of a sudden, it's all there. How do I fix this thing? And that's the way God can do you. God can wake you up in the middle of the night and settle all your little differences. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the supreme judge. We thank you for the church. We pray for the unity of the church. We pray for the unity of all believing Christians, regardless of what denomination they stand in, that if they are true believers and true trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ for their salvation, that you will Bring us into unity before your throne. In Jesus' name, amen.